0: All right, so um after catching up for a moment and a brief prayer, uh I've hit record and so we're live on episode 4 of the Keep It Simple podcast. Uh this is an episode that I've been excited about. Uh, it's really cool to me So for any of you who watch these or listen to these, who are part of our Space Between ministry, uh, our guest needs no introduction. For a lot of you who were not part of that group, um, who never went to Atlanta to serve with us, um, he does need an introduction, but I'm really thankful to prove that the guy's real. So I've used Gabe and his stories um, a lot uh, in communicating. and a lot of people are like, that's too far out. Uh, I'm not I think you're making this guy up. But Gabe Barrett exists. He's with us uh, today uh, in the flesh. And uh, so Gabe, welcome to the podcast for people that don't know you. um, If you would just take a few minutes, introduce yourself, kind of bring folks up to speed maybe on how we know one another. Uh, I think that'd be a good place to start.
1: Absolutely. Ben, really appreciate you having me on. And and yeah, man, my life is not like, if I look, if I look back over some of the things that I've been through all because of Jesus, I don't believe some of these things that I've experienced. It's just, it's just kind of crazy, but it, it's really a Testament of whenever you are willing to raise your hand and just say, God, let's go wherever the adventure may lead. Yes, and. You know, yeah. that old improv thing of, of yes, and, and just seeing what happens and just keeping the adventure going, keeping the story alive. Uh, you and I met in Atlanta. I used to run the M25 Mission Camp, which is basically an organization that organizes mission trips, mainly during the summer and during school holidays for high school, middle school, college age kids to come in work with the homeless in, in Atlanta. And so I did that for 12 years. And then I also, for eight years, I was in Honduras as a missionary, and I would go back and forth. So during the school year, I would be in Honduras, where for a long time, I worked at an orphanage. And then uh, I worked with a a bilingual school, teaching English and coaching and doing different things up in the mountains. Did that for several years. And so Honduras in the school year, Atlanta, mostly during the summer, leading mission teams. I think I led... Not quite 150. It was close to 150, like 135, 140 mission trips over that time. Gosh, and it was wild, man, and just all the stories that that I got I got to see and experience and hear about, you know, from other you know teams that were uh, serving with us. It was wild, and, and yeah. you got to be part of some of those, man. The um the the front porch mm-hmm. of Beck's house that time, I, like I still think about that. And with that kind of that worship service yeah. just kind of broke out, and uh, we were all part of it, and we we took communion that day, and Beck who is one of my dear friends, one of your dear friends, um, one of the most amazing Mm -hmm. people I've ever met uh, has has served. She serves more people in a a week than most people serve in a lifetime. And just working with folks experiencing homelessness uh, in Atlanta mainly, but you know, we're there worshiping and she's like, I want to do communion. And she went in her house and she didn't really exactly have the elements per se, but she had some hot dog buns and she had some (laughs) moonshine. And I was like, Hey, that's good enough for, that's good enough for me. And so, you know, that was a, a memorable experience among you know a million others, and so yes. yeah, I'm excited to, uh, yes. to chat with you and just just talk about what God is is has done, and then what He's doing because uh, I think for, there are far greater things ahead than anything we leave behind, and I, I'm just kind of pumped to see where Amen. things are headed.
0: Yeah, and so kind of cliff notes when when I met you when we met you you had just come through a divorce. Yeah, um, we are going right there, you, huh? right uh, off the bat. Less than four
1: have... minutes in, we're. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So authenticity is kind of the key. Yeah, um but yeah. so when we met you you um uh were serving well with an intensity um you know when when you play so for those that don't know uh Gabe um is an athlete was an athlete played football uh, at Auburn um and uh so there's there's that intensity and drive that's built in there, but so when we met you um you were uh, let's uh without getting like into the weeds, let's talk about like so so your time in l a yep. uh kind of the 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 moving pieces that led up to this crux, right, and then there's like a decision, and the decision is. Um, obedience, or um, not, uh, or something that looks completely different. And um, so that's what I mean, when I say impactful, like, uh, from the other side of that fence, I come in, and I'm a 30, I'm middle age, I'm 35 years old, 38 years old, and we met, I can't remember 37 years old. And but I come in and, and um, just observing you as a leader, Uh, listening to your heart, us sitting, talking, me and you and Corey sitting, visiting after everybody else has gone to bed or doing other things and just, just being incredibly encouraged because here's a dude that is raw and real and it's like obedience over everything. And so let's kind of talk through that and then leading up to you farming potatoes in Honduras.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's come back to the divorce piece because that is an important yeah. thing to chat yeah. about not in the context of my relationship as much as the authentic authentic community church kind of thing because there were some really interesting things that happened uh good and and terrible through that as i uh, you know working at a church yeah. and going through a divorce that wasn't like crazy it wasn't like infidelity or you know uh, gambling or alcohol or yeah. like, like you know so many divorces are just really gross and messy this one was a little bit uh, or very yeah. different than that but but you still run into some very interesting challenges when you're in ministry and you're trying to do your best uh, and you're going through a really hard time at home. So I want to come back to that in, in just a minute, but yeah, let's go to, let's go to Los Angeles. So right out of college uh, I graduated from Auburn really was hoping to go on and play at the next level, uh, play in Canada, play in arena. I you know, went to all these tryouts, did all these different things, nothing worked out. And it's kind of been, I don't know, my life, man. I feel like the word close is like close, but not quite. Has been the the underlying like if you were going to put a, a few words summary wow. to a lot of things that have happened in my life and now there's some funny things to go with that too and I'll tell you that in a little bit but um you know so it didn't quite work out <laughs> um, back up even a little bit more the year before I started playing football in high school my high school won the, the state championship and then the next year we got put out of the playoffs oh, wow. by uh, what was his name he ended up he was a starting quarterback at the at the Raiders for a while anyway we ran into him mm-hmm. um he was pretty good uh, jamarcus russell is that his name anyway um uh, phenomenal player in high school we ran into him never got back to the state so i missed the a, a state championship by a season i graduated from auburn wow. may of 2010 that following season cam newton comes in they win an national championship so i missed a championship on bookends on both <laughs> sides man it was just like close but not quite right and so anyway I graduate <laughs> uh, i moved to los angeles get this really cool yeah. opportunity to go out there and I'm just trying to figure out what to do with my life. And uh, I was living with a friend of mine uh, who was in the same boat. He had just graduated. He was an engineer. He was trying to get a job. I was trying to understand what's going on. What do I want to do? And I was writing a book and, and just trying to you know, discern, if you will. And I didn't have any desire <laughs> to start working with, with people living on the street and experiencing homelessness. But God just kept pushing me in that direction. Uh, a little voice in the back of your head that just kind of like, you know, pushes you towards things and really to get God to just leave me alone. (laughs) I was like, fine, you know, and so I found this uh, kind of a halfway ministry that was taking people in off the streets and getting them, you know, getting them help and figured out and then putting them into permanent housing. And going into that, I had every stereotype you can have, right? That These folks are drug addicts and alcoholics and they made a lot of bad decisions and they kind of deserve where they're at. You know, they've earned this spot Mm -hmm. in life. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't really have a ton of experience you know, with with folks in that side of life, um, you know, some mission trips here and there, but nothing like on a deeper level. But, um, you know, I started actually working what? with those folks and <laughs> doing all the things that you, you kind of don't want to do. I was taking out trash and cleaning bathrooms and driving around, picking up donations for this ministry. And they had a 19, like 1972, 1973 U-Haul. That had been donated that was like their their donation truck and so i'm driving this thing around on the los angeles interstates and it maxed out at like 48 miles an hour you know and so i was number one to everybody in traffic going by <laughs> me but um i started learning a lot right and I, uh, you know going in i was like okay let's go save the world and there i am cleaning toilets which I, personally and you've been through seminary and so maybe you can kind of speak to this well personally i believe seminary or any kind of ministry chain training the first six months should just be cleaning toilets and taking out trash. Like I feel like that would help, (laughs) you know, uh, it's very humbling. yeah. Very just like learning what true service is. But more than that, I started getting to know people going through the ministry. And as it turns out, most of them weren't drug addicts or alcoholics or people that just made a bunch of bad decisions. For the most part, it was just decent normal people that life had happened to them in some way. Yeah. Maybe there was a bad decision here or there, but -hmm. there was a lot of people that were, maybe on the run, a lot of people going through domestic violence situations and they didn't want to be homeless, but you know, it was either get beaten, potentially lose your life or take your kid and get out of the house and be homeless for a little while and try to find out, you know, find something different. There were people that their houses had burned down. There were folks there that had gone through Katrina uh, and were from new orleans had ended up in los angeles you know they, they didn't they didn't make a bad decision to live in a place that got ruined by a hurricane uh, and then insurance companies decided they didn't want to actually pay for things and so like now what do you do uh, so okay well that's a whole nother situation and then there was like this sweet little lady i can't remember her name but anyway she was in her like early to mid 80s just the nicest woman in the world and her husband had passed away she they never had kids and then because of the housing crisis that happened oh seven oh eight oh nine right in there mm-hmm. she ended up, ended up losing her mm-hmm. home and ended up homeless i mean just the sweetest little old lady and so i'm i'm running into all these situations and they're completely challenging my understanding of life of homelessness of you know mm-hmm. whatever and i started doing you know just doing that for a while i'm volunteering out there and it started to weigh to weigh on me pretty heavily and anyone in ministry anyone that's kind of done mission work you probably have a tendency to start carrying around those burdens of other people. And that was me. And all of a sudden, you know, I went from zero to carrying everything <laughs> and um, it was tough, man. It was and the same thing. If you're in youth ministry or college ministry, like you start carrying the burdens of these, these folks that you're, you're working with. And I remember this kind of big turning point. I was with my friend that I was living with and um, we went out on a hike and he lived kind of up, you know, in the mountains there outside Los Angeles. And we went up just mm-hmm. had this beautiful overlook, this nice Vista, And we're looking out over the ocean and you can see the city way on down below. You see the Hollywood sign way off in the distance. You see the airplanes coming in. Like it was just this beautiful scene. And I remember thinking there's like 20 million, 15, 20 million people, give or take, right? In this expanse, right? This this massive area that I kind of am overlooking. And if I were to spend Mm -hmm. my entire life here, you know, let's say I live to be 80 years old. If I spend the next 60-ish years day in, day out, loving, serving, helping. Is it even going to matter? Like how many people am I ever going to impact? Like, am I able, how many lives am I going to actually be able to change? And it was in that moment that I felt that same little voice in the back of my head that had been pushing me towards all these things. It said, not your job. It's not your job to change the world. Not your job to change lives. That's my job. That's God's job is what he was saying. And he said, just go out and change somebody's day and let that be enough and stack up as many change days as you can, yes. and just see what happens. And that burden was lifted, where all of a sudden I realized my actual place in all this, which is not at the head of the table, it's, it's again, it's cleaning bathrooms, and it's uh, taking out trash, and it's driving around on U-Haul, and it's just trying to make somebody smile, through a meal, through a joke, through a hug, through a conversation, mm-hmm. through some encouragement, like these little moments that you know we can stack up. And that whole change a day <laughs> mentality is something that I brought with me, um you know I, I didn't have a plan it wasn't like oh i'm gonna do this that's gonna turn into a ministry and a call like no i was just i was trying to get god off my back <laughs> but then you know I did that for a few months and then a friend of mine who he had been my youth director in high school he calls me up he's working at a church in atlanta that's really getting into homeless ministry and they had this idea they want to run a summer program for you know high school college kids to come in and do different mission things and he remembered me and so he gives me a call he says hey man what are you doing i said, like, well i'm living in los angeles uh, you know, I'm working with the homeless. He goes, you're hired. <laughs> it's like immediately. He's like, you're, you're the guy. <laughs> um, and so uh, yeah. a couple months later, I moved to Atlanta and started M25. And then it was 12 years of doing that. And, um, yeah, it was a wild ride with lots of, lots of ins and outs and, and a lot, there's a whole you know a million other things to it, but that was kind of the, the, the beginning.
0: And the M25 is based off of Matthew 25, right? So yeah. the M is Matthew, Matthew 25. Um, and so then, um, through that leading into this fracture in relationship, um, cause that's a, for, from, for, from, for a casual observer, knowing so much of the story now, where you are now, yeah. who you are now, what you, where, where, what God has done now, um, gigantic piece of that, of your story, um so so talk through that we don't have to get in the weeds but just kind of talk through that decision and what led to that and then because it's just on the back side of that that i met you um and mark and corey and the whole gang hannah and everybody but um so if you will just kind of talk through that a minute
1: yeah absolutely so um at one point it was coming up on the anniversary and i went to my wife and i said hey what do you want for anniversary and she said "A, a divorce and i said well i wouldn't plan on spending that much but I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding me. Um, it's fun to be able to laugh about a tumultuous, you know, really arduous time of life. But um, oh yeah. So yeah, I got married right out of college, and like, we moved to Los Angeles together. So we were. She had some clinical stuff. She's a doctor. She's way smarter than me. Phenomenal human being. Incredibly smart. Yeah. Incredibly driven. I don't have I don't have anything negative to say uh, about her as as a person overall. Sure. Um, and so. We got married, and I was coming out of my last year in college was probably the worst year of my entire life, and football didn't go well, things oh, like no. a lot of things just didn't go you know when you work and you train, you do all these things, and then you just things don't quite work out um and so I got married amidst like my lowest point of life, which I don't recommend I don't recommend anyone and I don't know if I was thinking, oh, this will make it better. I don't know really, I think I was just floating along. I think I was just going through the motions of life doing what I was expected to do, trying to make other people happy, trying to, you know, do things for other folks and never really stopping to assess, is this good long-term? Is this smart? Is this what I really want? Versus, you know, Oh, okay, let's just go do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a lot of prayer (laughs) and all that, not a lot of discernment. (laughs) Uh, And so we were best friends. It was overall a good relationship, just not, just not a relationship of, of marriage, if that makes sense. Like, you know, people tell you, marry your best friend. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always work out that way. You don't always need to. Like sometimes a friend just needs to be a friend. And we were incredible friends and just not good spouses. Uh, We were long distance, Mm -hmm. 90% of our relationship. Um, And so that was a big issue too. We kind of had two separate lives and I was traveling hardcore down this ministry mission route. And she was going down a very different path with um her profession and and helping people and and doing things you know being a doctor and all that kind of stuff um just different lives and just gotten distance and more distance and more distance and eventually it kind of came to a point it's like what are we doing and um so anyway that decided that overall the best thing to do would be uh divorce and, and try something else and you know, yeah. she's remarried, I'm remarried, like things seem to have gone really, really well for the both sure. of us. It's not a path I would suggest anyone take. Yeah. Uh, I would uh, encourage someone to have a little more uh, thought and discernment on the front end of that so you don't have to go through the back end. But, yeah. um, so anyway, you met me then in a pretty, I was in a much better place. So, a lot of that kind of fallout was mm-hmm. was is on me. Like, I take 100% responsibility for the whole thing. Uh, I think that's another thing that A lot of times when people go through the end of a relationship, end of a marriage, they blame the other person and then they don't get, they don't fix anything. Um, The majority of people who have been divorced um, get divorced again, right? That's why the divorce rate is so high. People talk about, Oh, it's 50% divorce rate. Well, if you take out people who have been divorced already, that that rate changes uh, because after you've been divorced, you're much more likely to get divorced again and then divorced again and divorced. Like it's a crazy exponential pattern. And so knowing that, I was like, okay, let me step back. I got to fix everything because it's all my fault. (laughs) Like whether it is or not, I don't, it doesn't matter. I am going to take on the responsibility of all this. And so I spent months and months of just getting away and stepping back. At the time I was working over a hundred hours a week. You know, I was living on the streets. Uh I was, I was downtown constantly I was judging every other Christian, every other person that worked at the church I worked at because they didn't do enough. They didn't work hard enough. All the spiritual pride that had built up in me because I, in a lot of ways, took a football mentality into ministry of I'm going to be the best. I'm going to hold myself to a higher standard. I'm going to you know, work hard work. <laughs> but that's not necessarily Work
0: hard work. I was fixing to yeah. say work hard and that's work. that's it.
1: Yeah. But that can be dangerous and it can ruin you. And you can end up mm-hmm. doing a whole lot of stuff for you And for pat's on the back, and for people to tell you how great you are, and not actually for the kingdom, not actually for service to other people, service of Jesus, like it's it's about me. And that's where kind of what I I ran into. And yeah, a lot of good things happened, and a lot of people were helped, and a lot of people got off the streets, and a lot of like amazing things in spite of me. But um, I had to reassess, and I had some really amazing pastors and people in my life, you know, talking about community. I had people that were willing to tell me the truth and to help walk me through this process of tearing everything down and rebuilding it from the ground up, of going into the kind of the deeper, darker, ugly parts wow. of my heart and my soul and saying, okay, God yeah. shine a light on anything that that needs to be fixed. And let's go through this painful process of surgery, basically. And let's cut these things out and let's start over. And, you know, the yeah. divorce is kind of like the giant flashing red light that this needed to happen. Um, this, this, the warning signs were already there previously. It's not like this magical, you know, but, yeah. um, that was kind of the, Oh, the the oh crap moment of going, all right, okay, let's mm-hmm. get this figured out. And so I spent months of just um uh, rest and figuring it out and prayer and study and avoiding anything that even looked like a woman. Like I was just like, let's just Yeah. You know, tear it all down. Um Yeah and then right after that process, I kind of got to a place where I felt like I was on the other side of it and really feeling good and talking to you know pastors and people were like, okay, you know maybe it's time to kind of start thinking about what is, you know, what is it like to date again? What is it like to try to pursue another relationship? And it wasn't long after that, I ended up on a mission yeah. trip to Honduras that I wasn't supposed to be on that. um My boss was supposed to go on that. He was going to lead this team to Honduras and they were going to be there for like 10 days and do all this stuff at this orphanage. And I was really excited for him to go, but you know, I had no, I, you know, I had no desire to leave the country. Um, they don't play the right yeah. kind of football. They don't speak English. They don't have Chick-fil-A. So I was like, I'm good, man. Y'all, good? <laughs> Y'all have fun down there. And um, yeah. I can't tell you where Honduras is on a map. You know, G- good luck. But um, he had a family emergency pop up like three days before they left. And so he ends up coming over to my desk. He, like, he gets off the phone. He finds out, oh, I got to go handle this thing. Walks right over to my desk. He's like, hey, man, what are you doing next week? I'm like, Nuh-uh. uh-uh. I'm not going to Honduras. He's like, you're going to Honduras. Go pack a bag. <laughs> go write a sermon. Go figure this stuff out. And uh, yeah, so I ended up in Honduras. We get there, and then the day after we arrive, I end up meeting the woman that I'm now married to, who is also from Alabama. She was a missionary down there. She had been there for several years already. I had to go to Honduras to meet a girl from Alabama, and you know, <laughs> it, we've been married nine years at this point, we have four kids, and so yeah, it's a wild ride, man. But you know, a lot of it comes down to I think it's Carl Young who said that which you most need will be found where you least want to look. And that was kind of the mm-hmm. the story of that process of going through mm-hmm. going through hell, you know, and having to go into these deep, dark places. I didn't really want to be in. I didn't want to look in. But, you know, that's where I had to go to be able to find the things I needed to find, to mm-hmm. be able to fix and change and, you know, give up to God and, uh, you know, eventually get to a healthy place on the on the back end. So you met me then. <laughs> you met me when I was in a much healthier place. Yeah, when place. I...
0: Yeah, and but I mean, when I met you, you were, I mean, you slept on a cot in that outdoor breezeway room at St. Philip, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought was the coolest thing. I was like, I I would like to live vicariously through this guy because yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Because you're you're in a stage which you have uh, two more children, but you're in a stage right now, kind of where I was then ish, and so um, wife, well, kids, obligations, and stuff. But then I lead a group there. I, I'll never forget Ashley Waldroup. I don't know if you remember yeah. Ashley, but um, God works. God works through relationships, right? So we had led several youth groups uh, to the Hinton Rural Life Center, which is where I met the group that. So the church that I'm pastoring now in Middle Missouri, a youth group from here, was at Hinton when our youth group from uh, South Georgia was at Hinton, and these relationships formed. Um, but one of the summer staffers there was a girl named Ashley Waldroop and we all became friends. And, um, and then several years later, Ashley actually chaperoned her younger brother's mission trip, uh, group from North Carolina who came to M25. And, and immediately when she got home from that trip, Ashley called me and she was like, we had been friends for several years at that point. uh, She said, she said, there's a guy in Atlanta, and you got to meet him. And you need to take a group to do this type of ministry. And, and so just from from my trust in her, and knowing her heart for Jesus, um, we acted on it. And so, in that first group, dude was, I mean, it was me, Brooke, uh, Charity, Connor, Mindy, you know, it, it was the whole gang. um in, in that first year at St. Philip, when we came and, um, Yeah, I just remember um, observing you and listening to your heart and being like, this guy, um, I wish that every professing Christian had a heart willing to journey through um, like you and hearing bits and pieces of your story as you would teach at night, um, stuff that you would share when it was just a couple of us sitting around. and So anyway, it made a huge impression on me. That was what 20, I don't even know, 2012 or 13, maybe 14. I don't know. I can't remember. Do you remember?
1: That would have been probably 2013.
0: 13. Mm-hmm. And, um, here we are 10 years later. And, uh, so it's interesting. And we talked about this on the phone the other day, but when, when I decided to do this podcast, this way, I sat down and made a list of people in my phone and you're on that list. And I kind of put them in kind of groups of 10 and, um, I had it kind of on my list to reach out to you. And a couple Saturdays ago we were watching Zeke run cross country and I got a message from you. And, uh, uh, again, with your heart, um, you, you had seen that we were doing this and you just offered, Hey, I've been, I've got i sh- I've got a show. I've been doing this for six or seven years, whatever you told me. And if I can do anything to help you equip you and keep you from falling in the same holes I have, uh, I'm here. And, um, so just, just super cool and sweet. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we still talk about you about Beck, um, stories about Corey and that, but so, so you, um, so you go to, you go, so you're running in 25, which is in Atlanta. And then you go on this mission trip to Honduras and there you meet Brandy. She was there full time, right? like living yep. in country. Um, and she was in the process of adopting two girls. If I got that right? Yeah. And so then talk me through, <laughs> talk us through how you end up, um, Splitting your time, but predominantly other than summers, living in an orphanage in Honduras. I mean, you talk about obedience, sacrifice, obedience and sacrifice. Like, talk talk through that process. Like from the time you met then how things kind of work out, and the next thing you know, you're living down there.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I met her in that. I can't remember if it was seven or ten days that we were there, but um, she was in charge of the baby house on on that campus uh there's about 500 kids there at this organization and she was in charge of like 20 babies and there's a few teenage moms that live there in the house with their kids and and so she was kind of the overseer of all that and it's so funny um miss susan who was this sweet little lady that was on our mission team it was so funny i was in charge of this mission trip but i was the youngest person there by like 25 years like this was like a retired (laughs) folk trip you know because it was in september you know everybody's in school and so you had all these like older folks that yeah. i'm in charge i'm preaching and I'm like this is weird i'm leading the bible studies at night i'm like okay let <laughs> was figured out but anyway miss susan she loved the baby house and so she would go there and just hold babies the entire time she was there she's like y'all go do the painting and the building and all that i'm gonna go hold babies and it was right after church mm-hmm. on a sunday morning and she's like Gabe, hey, you know we, we don't have lunch for about an hour come with me let me show you my my happy place and so we're walking over and as we're all kind of leaving church uh, we we catch up to some of the people walking in that direction and there's there's a a woman there and she's very pretty and she's american and she's holding a a little hunduran baby and someone asks about the baby she's like oh this is my daughter and i'm like okay there's a there's a story in there somewhere there's no wedding ring i'm curious like i'm just interested like what is the story here one thing about me i'm always interested in story like let's let's figure this out Always, always yeah
0: yeah yeah and
1: anyway we get to the baby house and I realized, Oh, she's in charge of this place. And so I walk up to her, introduce myself, say, you know, Hey, my name's Gabe. And she, oh, I'm okay. I'm Brandy. Uh, and I was like, I'm just, I just, I'm curious. Like, how'd you get here? Can you tell me like anything about your story or anything like that? And she said, no, she's like, I'm busy. I got to feed 25 babies. I'm like understood (laughs) so um she's like here and she hands me a baby and she hands me like a a bowl of food she's like feed him if you want to do something feed him I'm like okay didn't come here expecting to feed babies but here i am um and so that's kind of how it started and she didn't want anything to do with me man (laughs) she was like i'm busy i got stuff going on you're on a mission team there's 40 teams that come through this place every single year they all come and go and everybody talks about, oh, I want to do more and do this and be here long term. Like, nobody stays. Everybody leaves. You're just another one of those. And so that that's how it started. And yeah. over the next few days, you know, uh, we would just run into each other. And I would just strike up a conversation. And that's just kind of how it all started. And after the trip, um, you know, started just through email and Skype calls and nothing serious. Just trying to, like, figure out, okay, let's get to know each other. And, you know, it was about a year of that. And all of a sudden, I had more inclination to go overseas (laughs) so i made a lot more trips to honduras over the next several months and i got hooked up some other churches other mission teams and went down there and uh just it just all worked out and so we got married roughly a year almost to the day after we met and so september to september wow and um she she made a couple trips to uh to atlanta and met my folks and my friends and so it was just kind of a, a wild adventure but um
0: It worked out. It worked out. We were happen. We happened to be there Mm -hmm. one of our weeks with you, Brandy. Yeah. Because I remember being at the Chick Fil A. You know, it was Chick Fil A night. We went to Chick Fil A, and Brandy. We all got to meet Brandy, and uh, everybody was ecstatic. You know that we got a chance to meet her.
1: Yeah. She she's excellent. uh, As good as it gets. And um, you know, now we have two more kids, and so part of the reason we were in Honduras for so long, we were trying to move back a little sooner, but um, the adoption process took eight years to finish. And part of that was COVID COVID push it back. You know, we were almost done and then COVID push it back another two years and, uh, just kind of that fight, to, you know, that everyday battle of going through the legal system and all the craziness that goes on. Anytime you're doing anything in kind of a, a developing nation, you might say, uh, things get a little wild mm-hmm. and I wish, it had been as easy as I just needed to find the right person to give money to. Um, it wasn't like that. Uh, I couldn't mm-hmm. find anybody to bribe. <laughs> it was just a lot of incompetence and mm-hmm. people that unfortunately don't yeah. seem to, um, to care as much about children as maybe they should, which that's anywhere you go. And you know, i find that here more and more in the United States where you've got all these systems that are in place to help people that don't necessarily help people. Uh, but that's a whole another whole nother conversation. But, um, so that's the yeah. story with Brandy, but let's, let's back up for a second. So you yeah. mentioned St. Philip and the yeah. reason I ended up at St. Philip was also because of the divorce. Uh, I don't know if you know this. So St. Philip was a kind of a sister partner church of the big church I used to work for um, in Marietta, right outside Atlanta. And it was a church that had basically failed. It, the community around it had changed, but the church had not changed. And so all these like blue-collar, middle-class white folks uh, that made up that church, all those jobs disappeared. As everything went overseas, as everything kind of moved away, the jobs left, the people left, the church never changed. And as the community became more Hispanic and more black, the church still tried to be this middle-class white church. And so, you know, uh-huh. eventually your your 90-year-old people die and then you don't have a church anymore, which is kind of what a lot of denominations are running uh-huh. into. And so the United Methodist Church, like the conference came to the church I work for and like, hey, can you help revitalize this place? And so... They started kind of putting money there and trying to do these different programs. And eventually, at first, it started off as like, "Oh, we'll just bus our white people over to there." Like, well, that, huh? Uh, amazingly, it didn't work. You know who who could have known? Who could have known? <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah. then they had the bright idea to be like, "Well, why don't we actually reach out to the people in this community?" It's like, huh? We'll see what else, we'll see what happens. And that's where Corey, who you yeah. mentioned, who he was the worship leader there, and kind of became the youth director at the same time he started having these events and bringing in all these high school kids. It was right next to a pretty big, pretty major high school. And so, you know, he mm-hmm. started having hundred, 150 kids coming in on a Tuesday night for dinner and Bible study, which was mind boggling, you know, and all these amazing things started happening. And then M25 started going over there on Thursday nights so and we started plugging into the community and doing different things. Cause it's, it's in a pretty part, pretty rough part of Atlanta. Um, One of the most violent, one of the most dangerous areas. And then you have this church right there, which is kind of a perfect place for a church, if you ask me. But anyway, so we started doing stuff with mission camp. Well, then, okay, back to my relationship issue. The divorce happens, and the guy that was kind of over the youth department, not the youth director, but kind of like he was the pastor that was like an overseer of the youth ministers and like all the youth volunteers and all that kind of stuff. He didn't know me. He never had a conversation with me but he decreed that I was not allowed to do anything that had anything to do with youth. So I was going to like lead a life group. I was going to lead some Bible studies. Like I was already on schedule to do all these different things. And he yanked me off of that. Didn't even talk to me about it. Um, he he's like, go tell him. Didn't even like, didn't even tell me himself, like sent somebody to tell me, which is a kind of a trend at that church. And that kind of ugly thing. But, um, he also an Alabama fan. So I'm thinking that also maybe has something to do it, but anyway, so come to find out like i'm not allowed to to do any of the things that i thought because specifically because because of the divorce divorce. and again there's no nuance it was just a black and white oh you went through a divorce therefore you're not allowed to do x y and z it's like do you know anything about the situation do you know anything about what happened or how or why or when or what like you don't know anything you're just like making a knee-jerk reaction for no real apparent reason and so anyway i went to him because if you're gonna I mean, we're gonna have a conversation. Like if you you know, if you're gonna do that, I'm gonna to come to your office. I'm not even gonna knock. I'm gonna let myself in. I'm gonna sit down in front of you. I'm gonna put my feet up on your desk and I'm gonna have a conversation. Because you wanna you wanna act like yeah. that? Okay, well let's let's go to the next level. And so we're having this conversation. And I i basically I'm just asking, Well, can I do this? No. Can I do that? No. Can I do this over here? No. And I said, What about St. Philip? Can I drive across town and do Bible studies and life groups with those kids? He goes. Yeah, that would be OK. Oh, OK, OK. So I'm not allowed to be with the little middle and upper class white kids over on this part of town. But if I want to go over there where you've got drug addicts and drug dealers and gangs and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, go be over there. Interesting. Interesting. OK. Hmm. So that's what I did. And several days a week, I would drive across town and I plugged in over there. And it was one of the biggest blessings of my entire life.
0: Amen. Man. And that's
1: another thing I've just learned over the years is. God is a a so that God. You know, a lot of times we get so caught up in these bad things that are happening, and we fail to take a step back and look at it and go, "Oh, these good things are happening or these bad things are happening so that God can redeem and reconcile and yeah. bring amazing, beautiful, wonderful things from it." Divorce is always going to be bad. Cancer is always going to be bad. Car wrecks and being mistreated at church—those things will always be negative and awful and bad. But God will redeem those things and bring good from them if we're just willing to. Mm-hmm trust Him, walk in faith, go to the new place that maybe you don't even want to be at originally. Maybe it turns into the biggest blessing of your life. That's where I met Corey. You know, he and I became best friends. That's why Mission Camp moved over there, which is one of the best things that ever happened to it as an organization. One of the best things that ever happened to any yeah. of the teams that came in to be able to plug right in to that community, to the people that were right there. It, it turned out to be phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, all because of some kind of shady, unfortunate things going on in the leadership of a church. And, yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of times we want to walk away, we want to give up on church, give up on God, and go, ah, screw it. But I just want to encourage anybody who goes through that: it's like it ain't God, <laughs> Jesus ain't the problem, you know, and to right. right, just keep going, keep walking in faith. Um,
0: but a a big piece of that though, um, is the um the, that process of catharsis. I mean, it's it's going through. So so I guess what I'm leaning into is the reason that you were able to do that. The reason is because of the season that you had just come out of personally, spiritually, being willing to dive into the muck and the mire, being willing to take ownership of any part or piece of what had taken place. And like, okay, this has happened can't, can't change that, but let's open up and figure out what I need to solve or what God needs to solve in me so that this isn't a cycle. Right. And then you go through that process and you end up with, uh, with poor leadership. You know, I don't know because I didn't know pre Gabe, but pre Gabe may not have been open to going to St. Philip or doing some of these other things, but post gabe yep. um so yeah i mean I, I think it is i think it is god bringing um birthing new life out of brokenness but i also believe a gigantic piece of that part is the heart of the believer absolutely um you know i i, I think that when we're in this pro, when we're in this um posture um in that humility and and um Uh, brokenness to a degree when we own our junk, uh, that, that making money from mud happens a lot different than it does. Um, if we haven't been through some of that
1: fire, um, one of the biggest, so one of the biggest learnings uh, of my entire life. And I, I tell anyone in ministry, this, I tell people mm -hmm. in general, this is when I learned that God does more in spite of me than because of me. And the more I can just get out of the daggum Mm -hmm. way and let God do his work and let me just be part of it in some, again, cleaning bathrooms and taking out, like whatever it is that God's going to bring amazing things himself, not because of me, not because I'm Mm -hmm. in control, not because I get the last word, I get the final say. And so over the years, I've learned more and more Mm -hmm. to open my hand as much as possible Right, and stop holding on to things. You know, the the harder I hold on to things, you know, when it gets ripped out, whether it's by life or by my by me or by God Himself, like when it gets ripped out of my hand, and I got that strong grip, man, it hurts. Man, there's some pain in there. But when (laughs) I got an open hand, yeah, you know, that that, one it doesn't hurt as bad. But also another thing is when my hand is closed, I can't. God can't put anything else in it. This is all I got, you know. But when I've got that open hand, things can come and go freely, and and some really cool things can happen because of that. And just seeing God move. And do th- and do things that I initially was like, this is a bad idea. We're going to do it because I feel like this is what we're supposed to do. But God, this is dumb. Let me put it on the record. Hey, let me put up a prayer and let you know that I think <laughs> this is stupid and this is not going to work. Yeah. And then on the backside, it you know becomes one of the yeah. best things we've ever we've ever done. And best example of that. So M twenty five. This was year two. So this is before I had really. Built up all my contacts and relationships, like knowing all the organizations downtown. Like, it got to a point where no matter what happened, like, no matter who canceled or no matter what time or day or anything changed, I was so flexible eventually because I had so many relationships. You know, it'd be like, I oh, don't worry about it. I've got 10 other people I can call. We'll figure something out. Like, that's where I kind of got to the, that point. Mm-hmm. Early on, that was not the case. Early on, it was Safe House mm-hmm. and it was Seven Bridges and it was like very, very limited to what we were going to be doing that week. And second year, we had an opportunity get canceled on us for Thursday. I find out like Sunday afternoon that Thursday's opportunity is canceled. We can't go there and do the thing like, okay, that's frustrating. Let me figure it out. And I had like 50 people on this mission team. Like it's a pretty big group. So I got a lot of figuring out to do. And Monday morning I call everybody on my small list. I'm like, Hey, 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 nothing but knows. Okay. No, sorry. We can't. Sorry. No. So no. All right. Okay. Monday afternoon, I get my staff together. I'm like, okay, we got a few days to figure this out. Uh, what do y'all, what do y'all think? What's some ideas? We're just spitballing coming up with this and that we could go over here and do this like, ah, I'm not feeling it. And then just in this like brainstorming session, I said, what if we did like a, like a carnival? Like what if we went to one of the parks downtown and we set up some games and, you know, folks experiencing homelessness would come in play the games. They win prizes, you know, socks and candy bars and hygiene kits and stuff like that. And as soon mm-hmm. as I said it, I immediately went, no, that's a really stupid idea. Disregard that. That's dumb. That's dumb. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And my staff looked at me and they're like, no, no, we think you got something. And they got excited. And they're like, we could do this. And they started running with it. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not doing homeless people Chuck E. Cheese. Like, this is a bad idea. (laughs) And they were all excited about it. And, you know, we prayed about it. And I was like, again, I was like, this is dumb. Not going to work. This terrible idea. But we didn't have anything else. (laughs) So I was like, all right, let's figure it out. And so we put together these little kind of thrown together, junkified games and we started telling people throughout the week, hey, we're gonna be in Hurt Park Thursday at this time. Come on, we we'll, you know, we're gonna have this like carnival type thing. And you know, the group's getting excited about it. They're this group from Florida. And so anyway, we get on the bus Thursday morning, we're driving to this park downtown. And I remember one of the leaders on this team, she turns to me she says, Gabe, how many people do you think are gonna show up? Like she was a realist. She was like, like let's be real, this is a dumb idea. I, I'm aware of that we're all, you know, the adults in the room, yeah. We know this is silly, and she's like, "How many people do you think actually? Yeah. Like, just be honest. How many are going to show up?" And I said, "You know, if we could have ten people, like double digits, I'd feel pretty good about that—ten whole people." <laughs> and she was like, mm-hmm. "Okay, okay." So we get downtown, we get to the park, and this is a park that is never occupied, never used. It's a rinky-dink part. The fountain in the middle doesn't work. It's—it's it's just not a good spot. That's oh, yeah. why I chose it because it's yeah. like, we don't have to worry about anybody being there because nobody wants to be there. So we can have the park to ourselves and hopefully we can get some folks to show up. Okay. We get there and the park is completely occupied by some kind of corporate event. There's tents, there's music, there's food. There's like all these things happening in this park that no one ever uses. And immediately everybody on that team, 50 people are looking at me like, Hey, this is part of the plan, right? Like, <laughs> Right. Yes, and and so I was like, "Y'all hang tight. Let me let me go figure this out." And so I go down. You know, we park. I go down to the park. We park the bus. I go into the park, and I find the lady. Find the lady in charge, Miss Brown, and Miss Brown worked for the United Way. And as we're chatting, she said, "Oh, you know, we're doing this big HIV testing event." Uh, mainly focus on people experiencing homelessness. So we, you know, we've got all these different services and all these mm-hmm. different things set up. These tents are, are for po- folks on the street. I'm like, oh, amazing, because we're here to help with homeless folks too. And we've got this carnival. And she's like, oh, she got super excited. She said, we're gonna make this work. And she gave us a spot over in the shade underneath all these trees. And we set up our games and we played carnival games and gave away hygiene kits and socks and wow. sandals and all kind of stuff for hours and hours and hours hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came through we gave sure. away wow everything and to see people smile and laugh and play these games and talk trash and and just kind of have this experience <laughs> right because you can you can go on the street and just throw stuff at people you know you can go you get a hygiene kit yeah. you get a hygiene kit and you get a sandwich like you can go out and do that and you, do, and you 20 minutes you can give away all your stuff but to create an event that inspired joy and fun and accomplishment, Mm -hmm. right? If you're living on the streets, you don't get to feel like Mm -hmm. you're a winner very often. You don't feel like, Hey, I won that. Mm -hmm. And so to provide that for folks and to have people come up and say, this guy over here, I've been on the streets, you know, years, I've never seen that guy over there smile and he can't stop smiling today. And to be part of that and, and to, you know, get back to the church later and kind of assess and debrief and, and to go, I thought this was the dumbest idea in the world. And, and, Again, in spite of me, not because of me, right? That God was like, let's go do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And experiencing that kind of stuff, the more you experience it, the more you just realize get out of the way. Just get out of the way. Mm-hmm.
0: Be part of it. You know, be mm-hmm. some
1: little side note, you know, footnote or whatever, but let God work. Let God cook, as the kids say nowadays. Yeah. Let him cook. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that, uh, you know, in that same vein, some of, probably the one of the strongest memories I have from our time with you was karaoke in the atrium at gateway center and, uh, setting up the nails somewhere. One of charity Lucas's favorite pictures to pull out is me painting some, uh, ladies nails, you know, and, uh, but, but that's, that is non-conventional. It's not, Cracking your van window. I remember you telling the stories about churches that would ride up and crack their van windows and enough to shove Ziploc baggies of ham sandwiches out. You know, Um, a lot of that, you talk about how, you know, you're infatuated with story and love story and you're a storyteller. And so in that season of life, a lot of those stories stuck. It stuck with me. Um, And I think about them often, but that non conventional, making somebody smile. um, uh, playing the games, giving stuff away, singing karaoke, allowing people to be human, um, uh, that dignity, just eye contact, sitting down over a stack of pancakes and listening to a story or running, <laughs> uh, running a, a candlestick this big through the middle of the pancakes to sing somebody happy birthday because yeah. we don't have birthday candles, you know. and. Um, loving people well and not just checking a box. Um, So there's somewhere that I want to go and it's, uh, you and I started to get into this a smidge the other night and I was like, whoa, don't (laughs) use your bullets because that is gold. But before we go there, because I think that'll probably carry us out, um, just through the rest of our time that we have allotted, um, to kind of complete the story with um, Brandy and Honduras. So You end up down there, you all marry, you end up down there in country long enough, I mean, eight years, right? Did you say eight years years. so so that you could adopt the girls? Um, and then after the adoption is, is complete, then you move back to the states? Yeah.
1: So we moved back last March. So we've been here about a year and a half.
0: Wow. So your your biological children were they born in, in Honduras? Honduras or in the States? All four of
1: my kids are are legally citizens of Honduras.
0: How cool, man! It's pretty cool. Um, uh, and I don't know was part of the lag. So I, I've as close as I've been to Honduras is you know there's a tribe that we that we spent time with. Um, in the, in the Nicaraguan rainforest, but we went 12 hours up a river by boat. It's the Cocoa River that separates Nicaragua and Honduras. So as much as I know about Honduras is stepping out of the boat on the Honduras side to take a leak. Yeah. Um but what I do know, I spent a lot of time in Nicaragua, and I know that there were American shell companies that were adoption agencies, and there was corruption, and it was a money deal. And so was Honduras cracking down on American adoption agencies like Nicaragua was? Was that part of what you got caught up in, or was it something altogether different? Well, that was
1: happening, but luckily that was kind of—I was grandfathered in, so that that happening didn't affect— my adoption. Oh, okay. Um, honestly, the only time I ran into okay, corruption good. was when we had one of the directors, one of the higher-ups at the kind of the what, what we would call like child services, right? In the United States. You know, that equivalent okay. in Honduras. We had one of the higher-ups basically contact us and say, if you give me a certain amount of money, I will put you at the front of this list. And I was like, okay. And I just, mm. and we had some friends that, that did it. They paid and they, you know, uh, I just didn't. Wow. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And we didn't do it. And like a week or two later, that guy got found out and he lost his job and that put everything else into disarray. And another weird thing about the system is you have to, when you have a certain level of like director job in the government, you have to be there a certain amount of time for your (laughs) signature to actually carry weight. Right. So in our context, imagine if the president gets sworn in in January and isn't allowed to sign a law that matters until midsummer. Right. That's, That's kind of like so you have everything that kind of backs up, stacks up for that waiting period for this person. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's some kind of like making sure this is the right person; it's not all corrupted. Like there's probably some reason why they did that, but that that cost six months, right? That now everything just got put put on pause for an extra six months because this guy was corrupt. And now, luckily, the system said, "Hey, that's corruption," and got it out of there. Um, That's cool. But uh, for the most part, it was just everything, nothing. Nothing was worth getting in a hurry about from the government side, right? Um, there, it's almost like there's just not an incentive; like no one really cares enough to push things forward. And then you combine that with right. a lack of financial resources, where you know some of the people in the the government system didn't have access to a vehicle, and so if they needed to go to like your house to do a home study to make sure you're a viable parent, you're you know you're not abusive, and you've got a, you've got beds and food and refrigerator mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. They didn't have a way to, to get to you. (laughs) So like sometimes you'd have to go drive to them, pick them up, bring them to your house, show them around and then take them back to the office. (laughs) So it's stuff like that. Right. Where they just didn't have access to things that we would consider mundane and normal. Uh, And then the same with every, every country, you have a handful of people trying to do a a mountain worth of work, you know, same with social work here in the States where Mm -hmm. you've got so few and so much to do. So it was it was a mm-hmm. combination of all these different factors and it just took and then the then COVID, you know. So two and a half years extra, two, two and a half years. So wow. All that together, man. <laughs> so eight years, eight years you lived in Honduras. Correct.
0: Wow. Okay, so uh, doubling back then, so a couple things uh, that I want to talk about. One, churches serving neighborhoods that they find themselves in. Right. Number two, and I shared just with you the other day, just on our call, I, I've grown to the point that I, I despise the term "church hurt." Yeah. Um, I, 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 I don't, I, I don't deny that that people are hurt by churches. Um, I think in a lot of ways, though, in some, in a lot of ways, I think it's a cop out of time, too. Agree. Um, so I-, I really want to talk just a little bit because this will be gold. Um, churches, churches getting over themselves and beginning to serve neighborhoods that they find themselves in, church hurt, uh, leading to people who love Jesus but don't love the church, right. and so, um, as a person who spent a long time, uh, years and years and years of my life serving young people, uh, youth, college, career age, uh, many, many of which um, still love Jesus desperately, um, but um, are have grown disenchanted with the church, um, and several. I mean, I, I have several calls a month from. Young adults, twenty uh, somethings, um, who are in this place where they're trying to find somewhere to worship and they can't—you know—it just—it's just not clicking. So, um, let's start with church and uh, churches serving their neighborhoods. So, you talked about St. Philip, and and that's a, a snapshot. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of churches in that scenario right this moment, and it's—it's it's the. Unwillingness, like to like you said, it's the unwillingness to open those hands um, and relinquish control, which is a facade, right? Controls a hoax. Um, to, to to relinquish control and just kick the doors open and be like, okay, this is the situation that we find ourselves in. The text says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." ourselves Who is our neighbor? You know. Let's open the front doors and kind of take a look around. Not the people who are commuting 20, 20 uh, minutes in to get to us because this is their grandfather and great grandmother's church. Like, what is the climate of the neighborhood that we're situated in? I'd be interested to know A, your thoughts on that. B how do we go about how do we go about encouraging people? Um, to get uncomfortable, right. uh, and and to serve serve the, the the neighborhoods that they find themselves in. Yeah.
1: So, first thing popped in my mind when you said uncomfortable is so often we tell ourselves and we tell other people we we tell opportunities. Oh, that's not my wheelhouse. Oh, I, I don't I don't know how to do that. Oh, I'm not good at that. Oh, that's not my love language. Uh, whatever it is, right? And I heard this this pastor talking about one time. She said, um, "There's only one love language, and it's die to self." Like that's that's your love language is die to self and figure out how you serve and get over yourself to your what you were saying earlier, but you know so often as as church folks, we pray that God would bring us more members, more people to be part of it, younger people, whatever, and then when He does, we often have a tendency to go, oh, not those people, not them. We wanted we wanted some someone else. It's like goodness gracious, you know, Uh, and that's actually kind of what happened in my wife's situation. So my wife grew up very tough scenario. Grew up in the projects. Uh, her dad died when she was, I think, nine. Um, mom is a drug addict. Oh no! You know, my wife went through a lot of really terrible things as a, as a young person, as a child, and didn't want anything to do with church, but didn't really know anything about church either. And she had this group of friends that they found out that uh, the, a church close to where they were all kind of living uh, served breakfast on Sunday morning, and they were hungry. And so they started showing up at this church. To eat breakfast, right? As a place for some food. And these were a rough group of kids. These were drugs and alcohol and sex and violence. And like, these were, these are not the people that you're like, oh, I can't wait to have more of these folks in our church. Like, they're just, they're some rough, rough folks. But the youth pastor <laughs> there recognized that this was the answered prayer, that we were praying God would bring more people in, more youth to the youth program. And here they are. And he got so excited. But the church leadership, was pissed (laughs) they were like we don't want these people you know and a lot of a lot of the kids in the youth group that had been there a long time they stopped coming because all those kids started coming Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this youth pastor though he just doubled down and he just started leaning into what god was doing and i mean so many of those kids came to know the lord a lot of them got into ministry a lot of them turned their lives around not all you know um, wow you know still plenty of it's it's hard to get out of that that vacuum Um, but this youth pastor became this, this solid rock for these, these kids. Mm -hmm. And, but it started with pizza and breakfast, you know, you know, pizza on Wednesday nights and breakfast on Sunday mornings. And and so it got kids in the door was we're going to feed them because they don't know anything about church. And my wife, you know, um, she was, she was in a rough spot. And I remember, so to fast, fast forward the story that that youth pastor ends up adopting my wife when she was a teenager. So that youth pastor wow. is now my father in law. Wow. Uh and so to hear him what? he'd be he'd be a good one to have on this show, man, and just talk through it all because he he's got some stories to tell, dude. He, and, we
0: need to do that. I'll, I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: he's he's phenomenal. Okay. And the way he you know he'll he tell he'll tell you the story. It's like Brandy had this just darkness in her heart of like, why would I run to Jesus when he's never run to me? Wow. Like He's never shown up for me. What do I care about him? You know, that's where she started. And then fast forward several years of just pouring into and, and loving on her and, and helping her reconcile and get through all this stuff from her past. And she ends up as a missionary in Honduras taking care of all these babies. And, you know, like God does amazing things mm-hmm. when as a church and as people of the church, like to your point, we're willing to be uncomfortable to not even worry about mm-hmm. like for comfort to not even be part of our vocabulary. Like that shouldn't even really be a conversation. <laughs> like who cares? You know, yeah, yeah. Jesus said, pick up your cross yeah. and follow me. Like what, like what part of that has anything to do with comfort or anything like that? He, he doesn't say, yeah, yeah. He doesn't say
0: what preference, what are your preferences for the color of carpet <laughs> exactly. that you're following me on? Right. Old, right? It's, yeah right. So I think I would, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, the,
1: that's the issue, right? It's just, how do we live that out? Daily in our context, in our neighborhood, you know, sometimes God calls you to go across the world. Most of the time, God calls you to go across the street. Like that's just that's just yeah. what it is, and and it doesn't. Nothing that bothered me, you know, living in Honduras or doing the mission work in Atlanta. People would put you on a pedestal. They they would think, oh, this is some special person. It's like, well, no. God may have called me to a place that you can't fathom, and God might have put me in a situation where you know you don't want to be in, that and that's fine. But God's calling all of us. We're all missionaries. You know whether you have to leave home or not Mm -hmm. we're all called to a certain context to a certain household you know i I tell kids all the time it's like the hardest people to love are the people you share a bathroom with how do you love them Mm -hmm. you know um Mm -hmm. what's the phrase everybody wants to change the world nobody wants to wash dishes like how do you just go home and wash dishes and do these little things because that's what changes the world another quote is if you want to change your city change your doorstep that's where it starts and if we all change our doorsteps all of a sudden cities change Mm -hmm. you know but we always want to make it these big grand gestures. It's like, it's, it's not, it's pancakes on on a Sunday morning. It's pizza on a Wednesday night. It's little things and just giving people the opportunity. Another thing is the church used to be this amazing third space, right? Not at home, not at work, Mm -hmm. but these third spaces that we don't necessarily have as much anymore, right? We don't have the rotary clubs and all the different Mm -hmm. organizations and everything's online now. And as wonderful as that is, social media is not particularly social. It's parasocial. It's not real. Like you're not in the same room with people and it's just a different thing. And, you know, as people have gotten more and more in themselves, the church has become less and less a, a viable third space, which I think we need to figure out ways to yeah, bring yeah. more people in the door, right? Whether we're doing little events or, or, I don't know, daycares, like different things to like take care of people more than just an hour on a Sunday morning through a worship service, right? How do we do that effectively? Mm-hmm and love people where they're at in the year we're actually living in you know a lot of times church is, is trying to do church like 1997 it's like it's not 90 it's not 97 anymore you know it's it's 2023 and so how do we right how do we do that effectively and um anyway that's kind of where my mm-hmm. heart is it's like there is no answer there's no like oh i've got the solution it's just yeah. nuance in your community your space you're figuring it out you're the people around you and then just go from there. And then don't be mad when God brings you exactly what you've been praying for. <laughs> like, really re- into it. Yeah. Those people. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last year, I think. I don't know if the time all runs together. It may have been the year before, but we were talking about how, you know, so the purpose driven model, the 1990s purpose driven craze hits, and this kind of if you build it, they will come mantra. And so churches began. And it's kind of that third space, you know, Starbucks built an empire on third space mentality. Um, but the that's where you started to see the coffee shops and the bookstores and the, you know, and enormous atriums and gathering spaces. And I'm not knocking that at all, at all. Um, but we found ourselves in this place where that pendulum has swung. Right. And, and no longer can we operate as the church of, if you build it, they will come, right? And so... Um, as with everything, especially in the North American church, we're in a lag. So we're behind. Um, and the, the rest of society has begun to understand that it's no longer, if you build it, they'll come. Like we have to begin to go and meet people where they are to serve people, how they are, uh, and where they are. Um, and I, I, my, my hope, my desire, my prayer is that the church will expedite Um, that process to try to catch up with the speed um, at which our society is moving and going and meeting people um, and whatever that looks like. Um, I think that I think that people can get behind story, which I think is one reason why I like you so much is because you're a genius storyteller and you love story. Um, You love other people's stories. You're not ashamed or uh, at all um, reluctant to share your story. Um, But I I think with young people, and and tell me what you think about this, but we talk about people who love Jesus but don't love the church. Um, Part of that might be because we're not giving, we're not inviting them We're wanting them to be part of our story instead of us going and saying, how can we come alongside you in your story? Like how how can our stories merge? Um, What what do you think about that?
1: When you tell the story properly, it changes the world. And what I mean by that is so often we try to, Sugarcoat's not necessarily the right Water down, in a lot of ways, uh, we don't just tell the story as it is when it relates to Jesus. And, and what's crazy about that, in my mind, is that the actual story, this die to self, take on this this other life, this new you, like it is an incredible call to adventure. And a lot of times we forget that part and we just we focus on rules do's and don'ts and you got to do this and you got to say this and you got to wear that it's like that's not what jesus did when he walked up to those disciples he said do you want to go on an adventure come follow me now had Mm -hmm. they known it was going to end up in most of them being martyred and die a slow painful agonizing death like like, i don't know maybe they wouldn't have gone but they were looking at this opportunity and this this revolutionary rebel interesting unique guy saying, "Hey, I think you're good enough. Let's go." And and they went on this adventure and their lives were unbelievable. And unfortunately, especially when it comes to young men, and it, young men are so hard to find in the church right now. Like it's it, we are a women <laughs> female driven church. And there's a lot of good that comes out oh, of that. Yeah. but like we need more men in the church and I feel like the reason we've lost them is because we 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 lost the the story, the adventure that it is to follow <laughs> Jesus.
0: The adventure, yeah.
1: And so, telling that story as it is, you don't have to change it. You don't have to like the whole seeker-driven thing bothers me so much because it's like, oh, we're going to change the story to get to. It's like, but why? But why? Because if if you're telling it the way it is, you don't you don't have to change it. (laughs) Like it's it's worked for two thousand years. Like it's done a pretty good job of being a huge, (laughs) you know, making a big impact impact in the world. And now we're going to take the cross out of our sanctuaries. We're never going to talk about blood. We're never, it's like, if you just read scripture and you just do what it says. Yeah. And that's kind of my mentality. It's like, this is what Matthew 25 says. Okay, well, how do we live that out? And what does that look like on yeah. a daily basis? Um, So to your, your point, I think, I think that's what we got to do is just, you know, when I was playing football, if you have a bad game, it's not because the trick play you ran didn't work. It's not because this new fancy formation, you know, didn't work. It's because you didn't block and you didn't tackle. That's why you lose. It's the basics. It's the fundamentals. And you mm-hmm. know what? Next week, you know what we're going to do, guys? When we get to practice, we're going to spend a whole lot of time blocking and tackling because that's how you win. And with ministry and following Jesus, it, it's blocking and tackling. It's figuring out how to get people to be reconciled back to God. It, it's, it's forgiveness. It's carrying your cross. Like, it's all these basic things that we, that we all know. It's common sense. As far as if you've been in ministry mm-hmm. for a long time, but you know we try to be fancy, we try to do trick plays, we try to do all these things. It's like just block and tackle, you know. Um, yeah. get back to the basics.
0: And the thing is, and the thing is, the the younger generation knows they sense it. Uh, they, they they smell they, it miles they, away. Their bullshit their their bullshit meter is more in tune than any of the rest of us, and that um. They they can sniff that out a mile away. And I think that's where, you know, I say a lot, people aren't attracted to right. They're attracted to real. Um, and it doesn't matter how right you are, but it does have, matter how real you are. And it's interesting because my pastor friends and my churchy friends, they don't like when I say that. They're like, oh, you, you know, it does matter how right you are, your theology, blah, 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 blah. And my heart's not in that. My heart's in when you're trying to connect with people who love Jesus but don't love the church. Um, you know, they've got a relatively solid relationship individually, but corporately it's non existent. Um, if we can get back to this place of authenticity, of winning together and losing together, laughing together, crying together, ups, downs, ins, outs. Um, if we can get to that place of just being real and doing life with people, um, I think that's a snapshot of the body yeah. of Christ. Right. Um, and, and and to your point about the adventure, you know, it's kind of a, I'm let down because he was kind of a one hit wonder in my mind, but John Eldridge, uh, Wild at yeah. Heart, um, that book is so, Oh good. It's uh it's one of only a few books that I read. I read it once a year, um uh, about the adventure and the heart uh, specifically of men. Um and uh, uh but yeah, so so these young and a lot of them are guys. There's a couple girls in there, but a lot of them are guys that are like, you know, I, I know I need to connect. I, I wanna connect, but um, it's just really, really hard. Um, and it, and the simplified deal, you know, back in the day, Gabe, like way back in the day at the very beginning, we had all these kids coming in and they were messed up as a football bat, man. They were just as confused. They were so confused about things. And we went to these kind of core questions. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Do you believe that he can do in you uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ what he says he can? And are you willing to let him? Three very fundamental, basic, simple questions. And that was simplified at its core. Um, and people would come with all these philosophies and all these things and all this other stuff. And we would, we would constantly go back to this authenticity of, do you believe these things? And um, I, I think, especially in North America, I think the church... Could use a big, healthy dose of that. Um, Tell the story. Don't don't alter it. Don't tweak it or change it. Just tell the story. You know. Um, We and you know.
1: Go ahead. No, no. Finish Finish what you're
0: saying. I was just going to say, in in the church hurt piece in the authenticity to go, when you get things wrong, go and sit down with somebody and say, Hey, I, I messed up. Like we got this wrong. Um, that wasn't my heart. That wasn't my intention, but I take ownership of it. I realize that, that we did damage and, and I'm asking you to forgive me. Um, it's incredible what happens relationally when, uh, the church and and representatives of the church humble ourselves and we'll have that kind of dialogue with people um that's all i was gonna say i think i think it could go a long way
1: yeah brennan manning wrote a book years ago and i can't remember the name off the top of my head i'll I'll get it to you i'll get you the title one of the best books i've ever ever read but one of it's like the Unwavering love of God, or something like that. It's like we're just talking about how much God the furious, God.
0: furious longing of something God. like that.
1: Yeah, that sounds right. And yeah. there's this chapter where he kind of breaks down everything as this Wild West metaphor, and yeah. you know it, it gets kind of deep and you know all these different things. But the one I love the most is when he talks about the role of the pastor, and when you're living. living out the story properly in this wild west metaphor, the pastor is like the cook on the, on the trail and the Holy spirit is this like Buffalo man. He, the Holy spirit's out there, you know, finding the stuff to bring to you, the wild fruits and berries and vegetables and the meats and all this kind of stuff. And then the, the cook, the pastor, he takes all that stuff, the Holy spirit's bringing him and he puts it together into this meal. And then he serves that out to the other people there on the trail. The cook's not better than anybody else on the trail he's just he's just the guy that happens to have the job of being the cook you Mm -hmm. know he's in just he's in another wagon there like everybody else you know he just happens to have a skill set and has been given this position and unfortunately a lot of times in ministry and i was definitely guilty of this early on is you get to this place where you feel like you're above you feel like you're better than you get this kind of spiritual pride going Mm -hmm. and then and then because of that you can't admit you're wrong then because of that you can't admit when you've hurt somebody you can't go to them and reconcile because you're you've given yourself this this space above right and so i think that's a, mm-hmm. a big issue is one recognizing that the ground is level at the foot of the cross and that's that's where we're all at it's level you know uh, whether you're a pastor of a mm-hmm. mega church of fifty thousand people or or you're just some some random person that sits the, on the back pew at a, at a church with 10 people it, it, we're all in the same all the same spot mm-hmm. and the humility that comes from that well, now opens up opportunities to have better relationships, right? It's also the congregation's <laughs> understanding that the pastor's not anybody special, right? That he has issues and his marriage has got problems and he's, you know, doing things that he shouldn't yeah. and thinking things and saying things. And it's like, because we're all human, right? We're all in this together. And I think that's part of it, right. just telling that story properly, that there was one perfect man to walk this earth and it ain't me, <laughs> it ain't you. It's Jesus and that's it. And that's, he's the standard and the standard doesn't change. But, you know, we're just trying to all live that out. And just being honest in our our failings, uh, I think that's another place where, you know, you look around you're like, because I remember growing up, I went to this little Baptist church with my grandparents. And I I thought when I was a kid, I was like, oh man, I'm the only one messed up in this whole place. I'm looking around, all these people, they got it together, everything's good, they're all, you know, doing well. It must be me. It's something wrong with me. Now, come to find out, there's a whole bunch of people cheating on their wives, a whole bunch of people doing stuff and shady business practices. Like, there was a lot of messed Mm -hmm. up people in that church. But... You know, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying, oh, we got to go up to the front of the on a Sunday morning and be like, hey, I deal with this. I'm that that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying just that authenticity of being honest about our our places in all of this, because then we can help each other. You know, if you know that we're right there side by side, mm-hmm. then we can lock arms and and try to travel down this road together. And so I think that's a big part of it is, like you're saying, being open, being honest when we're wrong, going to people, finding ways to reconcile. I mean, that's what that's what Jesus came to do. He came to die for our sins and to reconcile us back to God. And when he left, he left us that ministry. That's what it says in Scripture. He he left us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the point. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: if anything we're doing as a church is not pointing towards that mission and vision of Jesus and that ministry he left us, then what are we doing? If it's not somehow trying to reconcile people and ourselves back to God, maybe we've missed the point. But that's the adventure. Yeah. Right? That's the, the dragon you have to go slay and to present it in mm-hmm. those terms, because that's, that's what it is. Um, I think, because mm-hmm. I, I was gonna say earlier is we're, I think we're in a, the most religious time of um, American history, but the church continues to shrink because a lot of that religious f- fervor is going towards things that are secular, right? It's going towards a lot of these social justice movements, which, you know, a lot of good and bad in there, but there's no, there's no higher power. There's no deeper meaning. It's, it's a lot of like politics mm-hmm. and voting and and, tribal stuff, you know, my team versus your team. And cause I got this belief about this topic and you got that belief about that. To- like there's more religious acting right now than maybe ever before, but the church is kind of, we're not telling the story properly. And so we're, we're kind of on the outside looking in. And I feel like if we can just kind of get the word out person to person, what does it look like for people to get, Everybody's searching for meaning. You know, dudes are sitting Mm -hmm. around playing eight hours a day of video games because they want to be a hero. They want to go kill the dragon. They want to save the girl. They want to do all this. They want to have meaning and some kind of deeper purpose in their lives, but they don't have Mm -hmm. it. And following Jesus is really the only thing that's going to give it to them. And so how do we, one, message that? But to do that, you got to get to know them. To do that, you got to get outside your church doors, your home doors. You got to get there and, and get to know people, and that's... That's a whole other topic of conversation, how to do that effectively. But I think that's the deeper thing is how do we provide the message, the story of that deeper purpose, that deeper meaning mm-hmm. to the people around us and then call, the, you know, help, help them to come alongside us on this adventure. I think if we do that, mm-hmm. even just a, a tiny fraction, right, all of a sudden things change in a big way.
0: Yeah, and that's so. People aren't interested in the institution, yeah. but they're fascinated with the mission. Yeah. You know, they 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 are not overly. They don't most 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 young people do not care about the institution. Yeah. Um, but I think if we, and I think if the invitation is right, um, several have the guts to step into the mission.
1: Hundred percent. Whether it's Actual Um, mission, like, hey, you know, we're going on this mission trip to this place. You know, love to have you come along. Hey, we've got this thing going on at the church. Again, not just asking somebody to show up on a Sunday morning. There's nothing wrong with that, but like, how do you go deeper than that? You know, hey, come sit next to me as we sing some songs you don't know and don't care about. And you listen to a guy talk about stuff you don't care about, reading from a book you don't even believe. Like, like there's certain, you know, invite people to worship. Yes. But, there's a deeper opportunity to invite people along on the adventure. Now, first of all, though, that means you got to be on the adventure too. You can't invite somebody to go on a mission trip you ain't going, on. <laughs> uh, right? And so yeah. you got to be part of this thing too. Yeah, and that's another thing we don't, you know, once we get our fire insurance, <laughs> we're like ah, I'm going <laughs> to heaven, good enough, right? But it's like, no, like what does it look like for? Yeah, because I can't give what I don't have. And so if I'm not living this kind of deeper, you know, more meaningful life trying to find how to plug in and, and provide purpose to, to my life and follow Jesus and all that stuff. If I'm not doing that, it's really hard for me to invite somebody alongside it. So I got to be doing that first, but then how do I invite somebody along the way? Now, it, honestly, the last year and a half has been that kind of interesting because for years it was easy for me. Cause I'd be like, Hey, you need to come, come join me on the streets. Easy. I'm there weeks mm-hmm. and weeks and weeks out of the year. Yeah. Or come, come see me in Honduras. Hey, let me show you around. Let's go do some stuff. Let me take you up to this orphanage or this school or whatever's going on. Let's get, you know, and now yeah. it's kind of interesting where now I'm back in the States and kind of like having to reconfigure my life. And so, and I've got, I don't live close to very many like friends. Like I've got a handful of people, like a lot of my really good friends live very different places. And so a lot of it honestly has started online where I got a group of guys, we get together we meet and we chat about stuff. We, you know, talk about life and kids and marriage, all this kind of stuff. And so we're like kind of helping each other and holding each other accountable and all these different things about life. But like, what does it look like to, to show one thing? I didn't want to do this but i've started helping out with my 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 son he's five so wednesday nights i help out with the the five-year-old class while they do bible study wednesday night bible study and then i help out with all these little five-year-olds it's not in my wheelhouse ben it's not my love language to work with kids that age it's not fun (laughs) for me but it was a need at the church and so i've been doing that and what's so interesting about when you start doing stuff like that there's a woman there, that she's kind of she's over the class, and I help her, Miss Lisa. And Miss Lisa, a couple weeks ago, in passing, she doesn't know a lot about my story. I've shared bits and pieces. She doesn't know a lot. Of, she knows I live in Honduras. She doesn't know a lot past that. she in, in passing, though, she said, You know, I met uh, a couple homeless folks here. We live in a town like 5,000 people. Homelessness is not exactly an issue right here. She said, I'm, I met a couple of homeless folks. I'm trying to help. You know, she was just kind of telling me this story, just in passing. And I said, Oh, well, you know, I did that kind of stuff for 12 years. So, Let's chat about it. And all of a sudden I'm getting this opportunity to share all these different things, all these lessons I've learned and maybe help her get the lessons without the scars, you know, <laughs> like help her not to fall into the traps and holes that I fell into. Yeah. And all of a sudden, because I am helping with these little five-year-olds and do their little colors and, you know, teach them these little simplified Bible stories and all that kind of stuff. Well, I get this opportunity to share life and experience and all this stuff with this woman who mm-hmm. is right in the middle of mm-hmm. doing some things that, that I have a lot of knowledge about. There was no plan for that. Mm-hmm. It's just about being open and putting yourself in a situation, even if it's not in your wheelhouse or it is uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe because it's not in your wheelhouse, maybe because it's uncomfortable, go do those things. Like go seek those things out. But it's just it's just kind of funny yeah. how God works, you know, and but you gotta be willing. You gotta be willing to get outside your house and go do that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: So what was it like, just as this is personal, this isn't even really I just am curious. What was it like finding a church? It was interesting. Connor and I were talking about that on that ep- on mm-hmm. one of the first episodes because he stepped away from vocational ministry, yeah. and so in one of our episodes, in that first episode, he walked me through what it was like for he and Mindy to try to figure out where they were to worship. Uh, what was that like for you and Brandy? Yeah, it was interesting,
1: um, and it's been hard because like for years we had a community. You know, we lived in a mm-hmm. on, we lived on campus at the school where I was teaching, and we had. You know, a lot of Hondurans, but also a lot of Americans, a lot of Canadians. And we had this like really tight knit community. And if you needed, you know, sugar or onions or something like that, like whatever you're cooking, you could just go like walk across the the campus there, like, you know, walk fifty yards and there's another apartment and you could borrow some sugar. Um, you know, we'd get together and play basketball and play football mm-hmm. and like all these things. And so we had this amazing community and life groups and Bible studies. And then you get outside that and now you're on a you you're in a house and you don't even necessarily know your neighbors two doors down and <laughs> like dealing with that. And so we wanted to find a place that offered opportunities for that kind of community that was doing more than just Sunday morning that provided things maybe during the week, provided things for kids and families. And so that was part of it. And so then you kind of narrow down, okay, here's the churches that kind of have that. And here's the churches that, you know, the average age is not 82 years old. And so you're finding, you know, people that,
0: you know, yeah. are maybe
1: somewhere yeah. in age and life stage. Uh, and then, then you just got to visit. And you know, I tell you what, man, I'm to a point I can, I know a lot about a pastor. How was that? How, what, how was it? It was, it was fine. You know, it's, it's kind of weird because you okay. feel like you're shopping, which is like, ugh. you feel kind of, I don't know mm-hmm. when you're church hunting, church shopping. I don't know. I don't like that. And so I try to get deeper. And whenever we did find a church, it's actually a Baptist church. And, which I had not been to a Baptist church since I was, again, with my grandparents years ago, because I worked for the Methodist church forever. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. once we found this church, I invited the pastor to lunch. I said, Hey, let me take you out to lunch. And, you know, I, I, I know a lot about a pastor at this point just for how they talk on Sunday morning. I know what's important to you. I know what you're struggling with. I know what's going on in behind the scenes just because I've been around it for so long and I did it for so long. It's like, when you, when you got it, you can spot it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, yeah. you know, I went to lunch with this guy and uh, he's a couple years older than me. He's got, he just had his fourth kid. And so we're in a very similar stage of life, but just to hear him talk. And again, that authenticity, just being honest and being real and being open, And Mm -hmm. that, I was like, this is is where I want to go. You know, um, this is the, this is the kind of leader that I want to follow. And so that was a big part of it. And Mm -hmm. even though Sunday morning worship, it's, it's old school, a lot of hymns and a lot of like, again, stuff I haven't been a part of in a long, long time. It doesn't matter because the heart of the Mm -hmm. church, if I go in the church and and Sunday morning is not, you know, songs that just came out from Hillsong or or whatever. And, you know, I've got all these emotions and we're, we're playing these certain riffs on the guitar and the drums and, if, it, you know, if I'm not having this emotional worship experience, it doesn't matter because the heart of the church is in the right place and it's going in the right direction. And I think you can, you can yeah. feel that, you know, and so the church ain't perfect you know, by any stretch, but that was a big part of it. It's just finding the kind of place that had the leadership I wanted to be led by. But then that was doing some really cool things in the community, um, offering opportunities for my kids to get involved. So that's that's, at least that was my criteria.
0: You know, was it comfortable visiting? One thing that surprised me, kind of, but Connor Connor was saying, is so odd. It's so strange. I mean, you're a Christian, like a sincere Christian, like you're in, completely infatuated with Jesus, like enthralled with God and and sold out, whatever, whatever cliche you want to tag on it. And, but still, you're going into these different churches, and it's like, it's uncomfortable he was like i was mindy and i were completely caught off guard at how uncomfortable it was to visit churches and if i ever again he was saying in up in vocational ministry i will approach mm-hmm. and 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 interact with visitors completely different yeah. was that did y'all experience any of that was it weird? So-
1: Anytime, anytime you go from being on stage to just being a somebody being somebody out there in the pew, that's a weird experience, right? And mm-hmm. I tell you what, man, for years mm-hmm. I could not go to a worship service without being judgmental and, and critical, right? And It's like, I wouldn't have told that story. I wouldn't have used that scripture. I wouldn't have cross-referenced it. Like, I, oh, I, I mean, it's so yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you just got to kill it. you got to kill yeah. that stuff in your own self, your own heart, because that's pride and spiritual pride coming out. Mm-hmm. And it's also freeing mm-hmm. when you get to a place where it's like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that this, it's like the heart of this place, the, the community of this place, like these are the things that, that really matter. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, like, so this mm-hmm. church, it had like a nice little visitor's packet and had all these little things about the church and different things about different ministries. And, um, you know, you fill out the card and they reach out to you and um, the pastor's super friendly. And they've got several people that are just, I don't know if, if it's their job or responsibility, or whatever, but they, they make a point to just be nice to you, you know, hey, you know. thank you so much for being mm-hmm. here, not weird about it or anything, um, but just to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, make you feel welcomed and, and cause that's nothing when you come into a new place you know you're new, because like you feel everybody kind of looking at you like, oh, especially if it's not a big church, you know, if it's only a couple hundred people or yeah. less, it's like you stick out, you know, and then, and then you're sitting in somebody's seat, you didn't know it was their seat, but that's their seat, they sit in for every Sunday for the last 25 years and you took their seat, you know, <laughs> little things like that, but yeah. um, that's the thing, just to be to be welcoming, without I don't know, without imposing necessarily. Where you where you just assume mm-hmm. the thing, but just to I don't know, encourage people to thank them for being there and, and mm-hmm. encourage them to be to be you know to come back and get involved in, in different things that you are doing and to get to know them too. That's nothing. I can't tell you how many times, especially when I was like high school, college age, where I would be having a conversation with somebody, and then you know, they they started somebody would meet me, and they start a conversation. And then at some point, the conversation would flip, and they would say, well, let me ask this. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And it's like, oh, this whole thing was to get me saved. You don't actually care about me. About me. Yeah. tell you, man, this happened Super Bowl Sunday. Praise this was 2000 oh, my gosh. and... 6 2006, 2006 Super Bowl Sunday. I remember it because Super Bowl Sunday used to be like one of my like holidays. Like it was bigger than uh, everything else. And um I got I would start yeah. watching, you know, I'm I'm there. I'm I'm in front of the TV at 7 a.m. and we're going to be there all day. I got my snacks, I got everything. I'm good to go. And the dorm I was living in in college had this really big TV down in the lobby. And so Super Bowl Sunday I'm there um watching all the pre-game coverage and like all the stuff, right? I'm super excited. And this beautiful young lady sits down at on the couch, like across from me. And she just starts talking to me and we're talking about football. And I'm like, I have met my spouse like this is Lord. Thank you <laughs> for sending this wonderful woman. And she's asking me all these questions about football. She's talking about her, you know, her favorite players and teams. And like, we're just getting to know each other and stuff. And then like maybe 15 minutes in again, that question, Oh, let me ask you, do you know, Jesus as your personal Lord and say like, huh? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I got saved, you know, several years ago, I go to this church, I do this, that. She's like, oh, okay. All right, well, you have a great day. You should get up and left. I was like, that did not feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. You know? And so when we approach yeah. people in that way, where, where people are really just a means to an end, right? We're just trying to get them saved. And now nothing wrong with like wanting to get people saved. Like, that's fine. We reconcile them back to God and all that. But when that is really all you care about and you don't really care about the person, People know that, especially these days. So I think that's another big thing. Is
0: it's like your shirt. It's mm-hmm. like your shirt. People aren't projects. Exactly. Um, you know, you 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 said that. Put it on shirts and 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 push that, and it's gold. Mm-hmm. You know, because it is that. You sit down, you get to visit, it and you're like, okay, this person actually wants to know me or cares. Mm-hmm. But it's all in an agenda. It's like this. It's working to this point. Mm-hmm. Like you're you know, a name on a honeydew list or a project and, um, it's cheap. It's, um, counterfeit grace. Um, yeah. And it sucks. It does. So if you're listening to this, don't do do that. that. Get
1: to know people, Uh, get to know them. Yeah. Let them get to know you. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. yeah. This whole thing's on relationships.
0: And that's the, yeah, that's the one thing our culture is missing, man, and that's what I think the Lord has kind of taking us in this project. Really, now that we've started kind of being obedient, you know, hard-headed people banging their head against walls for a long time, Gabe. Not that you would know oh, anything not a about bit. that. Never, but, never heard that. Um, but, but, but it is. Um, you know, in that I heard, so a pastor, the the first pastor that I served under, who's a great friend of mine, I love him. um, He gave a sermon one time and he was talking about, uh, we have become a back porch culture. And what he was talking about was like, there was a, there was an era in America where we were front porch people. And uh, even to the points of having like love seats and Mm -hmm. sofas on our front porches, you know, certainly swings and, folks walking around you'd strike up a conversation and we there was community and then somewhere there was this shift and uh, wooden privacy fences started going up and we may have like some decorative furniture on our front porch or whatever it's fall y'all on a sign or something but then in the back is where we had the patios and the fire pits and the pergolas and all the stuff like all of our investment was in the back outdoor screens and you know, we became this culture he said where folks pull into their driveways into their garages press the button and the garage door goes down and then they get out of their car but their time is spent in the back and only with people who are invited right. in and that that sermon set, settled with me and the takeaway was like we must become as Christians, we must become front porch people um, and get back to this um, no agenda, no project, just just getting to know people, yeah. um, listening to their story, um, you know, helping them if you can, inviting them into your our story, you know, your story. Um, I think that's going to be a big piece of this work. I hope it ends up coming out of this project. But so I got two, I got two folks now on my list Uh, just from you. I know that I need to end up talking to Corey's father-in-law with his bourbon. Yeah. So that's a cool story, man. Um,
1: Back to your point, the whole being front porch people. So Tony is his name and he loves Jesus. And he also loves bourbon. And he's, he's one of those guys can tell you all about it. You know, this came from this uh, brewery over in this part of the country, part of the world. And they use these kinds of barrels. And they use this process aged for this amount of time. And you can taste it here. Like he just knows all the stuff. Right. And so in his neighborhood, and he's done this twice now, he, he, you know, did it in one neighborhood. They moved and started again. So prove it works twice where he started a bourbon club with the men in the neighborhood where it just invites people in. So, Hey guys, you know, even if you don't like bourbon, never had it before, whatever, like, come on, give it a shot. Let me show you, let me show how to really savor it. Right. Let me teach you the way. And started this bourbon club and everybody kind of brings in. Give it a yeah, shot. Yeah, there you go. Give and it like, a shot. It? And, um, you know, they have all these different flavors and they'll try this and try that and they'll talk about it. But then out of that opportunity, and they were meeting like mo- once a month, then you get all these moments where you get to talk about life. Talk about marriage and kids and faith and what what have you, what have you been mm-hmm. through? What are you going through? Oh, you know, I just got diagnosed with cancer. I'm dealing with that, Like whatever, right. right? And all of a sudden you get to share Jesus in these moments and it doesn't feel forced. And people know that you care about them because you've been caring about them. You invited them into this third space. Mm -hmm. You know, you you didn't come into it with an agenda to, you know, get them saved. Like you just said, hey, I like this thing. I think you'll like this thing if you come join me and be part of it. And then all of a sudden you get to have these conversations. You get to speak into people's lives. You get to invite them to be part of whatever stuff, you know, church-wise, mission-wise you got going on. It's amazing how that happens. Mm -hmm. But again, you got to be willing to get outside your house on your front porch or beyond and invite people, which is uncomfortable and can be awkward, but it's, it's actually mm-hmm. easier though, inviting someone to that kind of a opportunity than it is to some others. So I think in some ways it does get a little bit easier when you create these, these opportunities, moments, these events for people to be part of. And then naturally, organically, you just kind of let things work because that's what the spirit does. It invades yeah. naturally. You don't have to yeah. force it. It will come up. And then when those moments do pop up, you just naturally, organically step into them and now that you've gotten to know people you built relationships you can talk to them as a friend not as a to-do list item right and so yeah he it's just really cool what he's been doing
0: yeah we have to get him on at some point and then your father-in-law i would love to have him on and 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 just listen just have him share stories and and uh Awesome. Well, I don't want to keep you any longer. Uh, Thank you. You have been generous um, with your time. Um, And thank you personally. Thank you for uh, pouring into me. Thank you for taking care of people that are under my stead, my responsibility for years. Um, And even after all these years, still giving, 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 thank you. Um, And uh, so for those of you that know Gabe, that's kind of where he's at. He's back in the States. He's in, Alabama, raising babies, loving people. Um, Board games, that was a surprise to me. So board games. Yeah,
1: strangely enough, man, it's something I got into as a hobby when I was in Honduras, uh, basically just as an escape. I started designing games, started a little, little podcast about game design. And over the course of several years, it turned into my primary income. And it was nice because I didn't have to raise a lot of support. I didn't have to go around writing donation letters and stuff like that, like these board games and this podcast, this community I built up kind of paid for everything else, you know, that needed to be, be paid for it to live overseas. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just been, been kind of wild. And I tell you what though, man, even though, you know, the show and the community and stuff I built up around it, it's not faith-based. It's not like a Christian board game. Like, no, it's just, it's just games. But I, I have honestly had more conversations because of more conversations about Jesus because of that board game thing. Than I have because of working in ministry full time. It's wild.
0: Wow. It's wild. Wow.
1: Honestly, I feel like people who aren't "quote unquote" professional Christians, people who work at churches and are pastors mm-hmm. and ministers and all missionaries, all kinds of stuff. In a lot of ways, you have an advantage mm-hmm. because people don't just assume you're saying things because you're supposed to, or assume you're saying this just because you need more people to pay tithe money and you know offering on Sunday morning. Like there's there's less assumption of agenda when you're just some person that has just some regular old job you know my case is kind of a unique job you know working in games in the gaming industry and things like that but it's still it's not faith-based and whenever you do tell a story or you you say something and people they hear it right like the other day on a podcast i was talking about something i said well you want to be you want to build it on rock or build it on sand Little things like that, right? That call to scripture, and I tell stories all the time about working with the homeless and working in Honduras and missions, and you know my faith. Like I don't shy away from that, even though it's not about that. I'll, let me tell you a story about this thing I experienced, and then people will send you a message. They'll send you an email or a DM or whatever. People you've never met before who live somewhere else in the world, and all of a sudden you get to have this conversation about some kind of time that they're going through, some kind of situation. Some, you know, their wife has cancer and they're doing. They're okay. at. They're. They're listening to my podcast at the hospital during cancer treatments, like whatever it is. And all of a sudden you you can speak life into somebody not because, mm-hmm. you know, not because you had that agenda, but just because God will open up those opportunities. And so, yeah, I think anybody I mm-hmm. listen to this, that you're not on the payroll of a church, like you have an advantage because you can be, Amen. you can be more authentic and people, they trust it easier than if you're behind a pulpit. It's just, mm-hmm. it just is what it is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, that's so good. There's so, uh, I've got, I just have a little scratch of paper and every time you say something that I love, I jot down where we're at. Cause I don't know if I'm going to use it as the sound bite for the teaser, right. you know, and I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11, um, mm-hmm. of those marks. So, um, yeah, but that, um, yeah. And, and I think that's a, a a gigantic piece of the authenticity um, in relationship is when you come in it and you maybe are not in vocational ministry, people's guards aren't already up. Like you've been in vocational ministry. Connor and I talk about this. Other friends of mine, I got a friend here in Missouri, Brandon, and we talk about this kind of stuff. And it's like when you show up and you're the pastor or you're the whoever, all of a sudden there's, it may not be all the way up, but there you may look like the neighbor from Tim, the Toolman Taylor, you know? And so you have to work to get that down before you can even build an authentic relationship. Right. Um, so that that's really good. Um, our folks who know you, um, how can they find you? What is the podcast? I know that, uh, I don't know that. Some of them may or may not be into gaming, but I know they love you. Yeah. And so how can they catch up with you? What, what, what is it that you are and how can they find
1: yeah, you? Yeah. So the, the podcast and the community is called the board game design lab. And that, that's where you, I've got over 300 episodes of podcasts at this point. And so if you're, if you ever want to hear stories, man, there's 300 plus opportunities to hear all sorts of stories and ins and outs. And again, I talk about missions and faith and, and games, everything kind of all there woven uh, together, but uh, that's probably the best place. Mm-hmm. And um, find me on Facebook, find me, you know, send me an email. It's just my name at hotmail.com. I still got one of those Hotmail yeah. email addresses. People make fun of me nowadays. I don't care. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. You can tell me an OG. I thought it was been awesome, been on the internet a long time, man. I was
0: like, hey. I was like, hey, what's your email? I'm going to send you a link for mm-hmm. tonight's episode. You're like gay beard at Hotmail. And I'm like, yes, it is.
1: Hopefully it's coming back in time. it is. Everything comes back around. Maybe it'll be cool again one day. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Gabe, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point if you're willing, but thank you. Um, Thank you for your time. And uh, God bless you, man. Thank you. It's always a pleasure
1: chatting with you, man. We'll see you again soon.